Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want to check out what we have to offer, you can visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. My co-hosts tonight are Brad and Kerry Hoppy. They own Muskie Mayhem Tackle. If you want to know what they're up to, check out MuskieMayhemTackle.com. And our guest tonight is Captain John Siebold with SFP Fishing Outfitters. John, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good, I believe. I'd say we're doing all right. Better if I was where John was or is. <laughs> yeah, it's a little nicer yeah. where he is. It is. Was, yep, uh, it's seventy-five to eighty every day. Sorry to sorry to tell you that. It was ten below when I was grilling steak last night. It's brutal in the Midwest <laughs> right now. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a really good excuse to get on a plane and have a little self. There you go. So I was going to say it was only that easy. <laughs> well, that is true. But yes, 70, 80 degrees pretty much every day this time of year. Sorry. <laughs> Who needs the Chicago Muskie Expo? It looks like we could just skip that one and head her down to Florida for the weekend. The problem is that when you take a trip like that, when you come back, back into this whole tundra that we live in, it makes for a really, really long winter. <laughs> so if I, if I was going to recommend anybody to go south, you know, during the winter, I would probably say the end of February. At least then it's not quite as long till spring, but that's just me. Yeah, you need a little bit of a break there. February, March, you're right. You got to break it up. I'll be breaking it up with the Milwaukee show, the Wausau show, <laughs> the Minnesota <laughs> show. <laughs> those are those yeah, are almost yeah. like tropical vacations, aren't they? Something. Well, hey, when is the when is the Chicago show this year? January seventeenth. Uh, yeah. That weekend. Are you, are you coming, well, I, John? I will not be coming this year. Um, I, I took off last year, and I'm not planning on coming this year. Maybe next year we'll put her back on the list just to get away <laughs> from the 75, 80-degree weather and go up there because it's always, you know, always, you know, warm and balmy up there in January. Mm-hmm. That's true. It, you know, it's, it's a great really show, though. For us. It, it actually is warmer than where we live. I'll give it that. How's that sound? Well, yeah, we don't even I, have to wear a coat most of the time when we go there. <laughs> Let's not get carried away. <laughs> and and then the Milwaukee show, as long as we're... When is that again? Right around Valentine's uh, Day. I don't know. I think it's 13th, 14th, 15th. Uh, I think it's a little later. I think whatever that weekend falls, I think it's like 15, 16... Something seventeen, maybe. Is it? Could be. We'll we'll, so. we'll worry about that when we get towards the end of January. I will miss being at both those shows and having custom cowgirls tied. <laughs> we always like seeing the, whether you have one tied or not, John. <laughs> Actually, I always think every time I do see you at one of those shows that you're nuts for leaving Florida at that time of year. Correct. But I came to see you, Carrie. You have to understand that. Right, right. Well, I appreciate that, but one of these days I'm going to stow myself in your suitcase and go back. Not a problem. I've told you that for many years. I know. My wife would understand, Brad. He'll just have to understand, and it'll work out just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Brad would have to learn how to ship bait. It might not be so good. (laughs) Maybe maybe not so good for the customers anyway. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, Brad, did you notice that he goes to the show to see Carrie, much like most of the people listening to the podcast to hear Carrie? I mean, just another, you know, display of her fan club. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling kind of bad about this whole thing, Jeff. I mean, you know, we diligently show up every <laughs> podcast. Yep. She kind of blows off here and there. And uh, are you kidding me? <laughs> all summer <laughs> long. All summer long. Right. And who has the fan club? Carrie. Yep. Some of us have to work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Brad and I, we work every single week. No, it's no and I. <laughs> oh, uh, boy. Here we go. Once a week, you and Brad work. <laughs> when you podcast, the rest of the time, it's me and Mel. Don't kid yourself. Oh, boy. Well, let, enough debate about that. Let's talk to John about some fishing. <laughs> so, John, typically when we got a first-time guest on, we want a little bit of background on him. Why don't you, I mean, since we kind of talked a little bit about the weather in Florida, why don't you talk about what you're doing in Florida, and then you can go back onto the... The, what got you started with fishing and musky fishing and tarpon fishing and what led you to where you are now? Sure. Well, I um, grew up in Minnesota, just south of the Twin Cities. Uh, fished for, uh, you know, bass, musky, and did some fly fishing for trout, pike, etc., etc. Fished a lot in Minnesota, a lot in Wisconsin. And um, then basically, uh, we came to Florida two or three times a year growing up just for family vacations and that sort of thing and always sort of enjoyed the weather and had a difficult time going back to Minnesota. In fact, uh, sometimes I would sort of laugh about why my dad couldn't maybe uh, get a job and transfer us down to Florida earlier. But, uh, but anyways, um, finished up school there and started my first year of college at university of Minnesota, uh, up there in Duluth and well stayed one extra semester the following fall just to be able to fish and duck hunt a little longer. And, then I came down to Florida and uh, started school down here. Two years after I was down here, I started uh, the charter fishing operation, SFP Fishing Outfitters. And uh, ever since then, as I finished up my rest of my junior and senior year in college, I have at least been guiding uh, you know, part-time for a couple of those years when I was in school. And that's all I've done now full-time for the last 23 years. What, what brought me here, uh, just be honest, tarpon and the weather is what brought me here. Uh, the, the muskies of the south and uh, the, the 75 to 85 degree weather, uh, I, I sort of fell in love with it pretty early and can't help myself. I became addicted uh, pretty early on. You know, you think about this, John. You Were you fishing before, like on your vacations, before you actually moved down there? Or, I mean, what, what really I mean, made you decide to start guiding? To be honest, I was fishing some on my family vacations coming down to Florida. But what really got me on the path when I got down here to Florida, and I was specifically down here in South Florida, you know, I, A, there wasn't an abundance of guides, and B, there was just, you know, an unlimited, you know, fishery that was year-round. You know, you, you could be on the water, uh, you know, fishing for these great saltwater fish, uh, you know, pretty much at any time. So what I, what I found is basically that uh, I could create my schedule while in college that I only had, would have to have classes maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, sometimes Thursday, depending on what was going on. But I could have Friday through the weekend off and I would spend those days down, uh, you know, learning, fishing and, and, you know, as long as I was at it, I got, you know, Coast Guard license and all that kind of stuff and became legal. And it turns out relatively quickly while still in college, you know, I was, I was getting fairly busy to the point that after we got done with school, you sort of started to evaluate it. And, and you know, if 
followed my passion. Um, you know, again, grew up fishing, love fishing, love people. Certainly like to, to spend time with people and show people, you know, this, this saltwater world and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then on top of that, you found these things called, you know, tarping, which are just to take the addiction and the passion just sort of one step further. So yeah, that's that's basically how all that came into place. And that's I started the business when I was a junior in college. Now, almost 25 years later, here I am. That's pretty remarkable. I mean, you know, you think about a Midwest guy ends up moving down to Florida of all places to find themselves in that in that journey. I mean, that it's pretty cool that you were able to do that. It it was, you know. I mean, it, it I'm obviously some things fell into place to make it all work. Uh, I suppose there's maybe a little luck in there and a little push, and uh, you know, and all the other things that that can happen. I was fortunate enough; my parents were kind of retiring at the time. I had a built-in flat boat youth uh, that helped get me started. My, my parents, again, they were they were retiring kind of down to the Marco Island way. So combine all that along with, uh, they followed me. I, I moved first and then they, they retired and followed me down. And that, uh, you know, it is, it's, it, it's pretty remarkable that a Midwest guy did end up getting down here. I agree with you. Real happy that it did and, and uh, real happy that it worked out that way. Well, forever, John, I've, I've always heard, you know, I mean, you're the go-to guy when it comes to tarpon. You know, I, I had the opportunity. I think I, I don't know what year it was that we met, but it's been quite a while ago. And uh, I met you at a muskie show. And so how did you end up going to these muskie shows? I mean, how did that whole affiliation come into play that you started working muskie shows? Well, yeah, I'd say, Ben, if I had to guess, I'd say you and I met probably, yeah, probably 15, 16 years ago now, something like that. Um, and what brought me to the Muskie shows and I'm in, in Milwaukee, Chicago, and a couple of times in Minnesota as well, was basically the, the Tooth Tamer Rods connection. You know, I, I was on kind of the front end of, of that project uh, during its, uh, its sort of rebirth, we'll call it. And, uh, you know, kind of pushing. Uh, Bill Green was nice enough to uh, basically, you know, well, basically be providing with, you know, muskie rods and uh, any of the R&D and, and stuff like that for any of the new models. Uh, what a great testing ground. And, uh, you know, we sent them down. I try to beat them up and break them. And you got year-round research down here. So we made kind of a connection there that, uh, you know, to come out to the muskie shows, I would help uh, advocate his product. And I would also, you know, have videos playing or whatever, kind of pushing my business or whatever. So Really, it was a good, it was a mutually benefiting relationship. Uh, and that's basically what brought me up to those musky shows and, and how I ended up meeting you right across the way, uh, showing a big tartan video while you guys are tying hundreds and hundreds of cowgirls looking over going, well, that looks pretty interesting. And I'm pretty sure that's how you and I met. You're probably right about that, John. <laughs> so, so, John, you're talking about using musky equipment tarpon fishing how much of your freshwater experience carried over to the saltwater stuff when you started i mean how much of it related a tremendous amount to be honest it's it's such a such a great crossover uh type situation uh you know from minnesota whether it be you know the main focus there uh you know musky fishing uh, you know, a tarp in here, the crossover is the same. I mean, it's the identical, it's more or less the identical fish, you know? I mean, obviously they're a little bigger, no teeth, et cetera, et cetera, but you're using 
you know, those same rods, the, the same, you know, it used to be seven and a half now or things, you know, eight, nine foot. Uh, well, you guys are 10 foot in the musky world. So that, that again, the crossover just was terrific. It was so easy. And, um, and I think that's one of the other reasons why, you know, it became pretty busy, uh, you know, at the front end being a guide too, because down here, you know, focusing more on tarpon, just because, again, it's musky fishing. It's the same rod, the same reels, the same stuff that you guys have that you're using, that you're, you know, whatever product people are using to throw all of your lineup, both of your lineup, is the same thing that you're throwing, you know, down here. So I guess that's the, you know, that's the musky, musky show connection, and it's certainly a musky and, and tarpon connection. Same equipment. It's just, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's just the same stuff, same gear to the T. So how does it, how does it compare then, like, say, finding fish? Locating fish. And- yeah, like, I mean, the actual fishing part of it. Well, the, the fishing part of it, uh, oddly enough, using lures around half the size of the normal musky bait, uh, fishing for tarpon that are average twice the size of the average musky. It sounds like a little, kind of a, a little bit backwards. But, you know, as far as baits go, anything that you typically would be using for musky, what I would say more on the smaller side, not some of that big Minnesota trolling 12-inch stuff that you guys like to toss. But, you know, all, you know, a ton of the, of the soft plastics and, you know, the balsa baits and, you know, whatever other kind of wood, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and that six, seven, eight inch minnow type, uh, you know, looking body, uh, you know, something that's, you know, realistically fishing really almost never more than like eight to 10 feet. But, you know, any of those other type of lures, it, it, you could take half your tackle box of the average musky fisherman up north. Bring it down here, and realistically, you're feeding them what they already want to eat. Something that looks like a you know eight inch minnow. What's the main forage for tarpon? Well, in the in the fall, they're eating more mullet than anything else. Then in the spring, they switch to uh, some herring and some scaled sardines. Certainly, some crabs later spring. But you know, if you're going to pick one bait that a tarpon loves to eat, you'd probably pick a mullet more than anything else. But truth is they're you know they're fish they eat what's in front of them they'll kick themselves into scavenger mode if if that's the situation but for the most part uh you know may and june they get really focused on some crabs but as far as year round they're eating you know anything in that four to eight inch kind of bait fish mullet scaled sardines threadfin herring uh, that would really be their main forage so it'd be like a, a minnow or perch type size thing for a musky basically like a big shiner big 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 shiner that's right it's a you know call it a you know whatever your favorite bait fish at your favorite musky lake something that's eight inch long eight inches long and looks kind of shiny and uh you know swims around in groups with a bunch of other bait fish that's what they want to eat same kind of thing what, uh, you know, you were talking, I mean, you're using musky rods. Are you using musky reels? What what kind of line are you using as well, John? Yep, definitely using uh, musky reels. In fact, uh, use more of the, the Revo Toro uh, Beast 60 size, which should sound very familiar to every musky fisherman on the planet. That's probably my go-to reel, um, especially they've, uh, you know, certainly stepped up their game in their last couple of models and make it, made them a little bit, uh, you know, a little stronger. Can handle, uh, you know, fighting the beast a little bit more. Um, and as far as line, uh, you know, again, just same straight out of the musky world. 
you know, 50 pound to 80 pound, you know, pick your flavor as far as your, uh, is your favorite line. I'll be honest, my go-to is, is been power pro for quite some years and, and, uh, the two or three different versions of power pro, but, uh, I've got 50 pound power pro on, on my bait cast reels, uh, and my spinning reels, because they certainly do factor that in as well. Some of the bigger spinning reels, something that the, you know, musky world isn't quite as familiar with, but certainly in the 8,000 size, you know, spinning class, uh, a, you know, somebody, uh, you know, that isn't super experienced, uh, you know, with casting can typically pick up a spinning reel with quite a bit of ease and they, you know, can certainly be fishing for tarpon. But again, those reels, uh, all the bait casters and the spinning reels are pretty much 50 pound power pro is going to be found on 90% of my reels. Yeah, that's interesting. I've used a lot of Power Pro as well. I've kind of switched to Suffix over the past, I don't know how many years now, probably five, six years. But, you know, it, it's they're very similar, don't get me wrong. Any of those braids, I mean, they're just, they're unbelievable lines today. There's no doubt about that. Uh, One of the things that I, I find interesting is, I would say, you know, there's a lot of crossover from muskies to the Florida tarpon deal. But one of the, the crossovers that I've seen come from Florida in the last, say, 10 years-ish, seven years for sure, is seeing some of those bay boats coming up to Minnesota, to Wisconsin, where they're using stand-up center council bay boats for muskies. I think that's kind of a neat crossover that comes from Florida this direction. Oh, it, it most certainly is. And, and if you really think about it, I mean, it, it makes total sense. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to, uh, you know, be with, with Team Skeeter, and I have been for um, uh, 12 years now. So I've been running, and, and I'm fortunate enough to be, you know, running basically the, the current model, you know, new 24-foot Skeeter each year. In fact, uh, I, I just broke my 2020 in uh, here last week. So, so I've been running that a little, and, and you know, they're great boats. And putting that part aside, I mean, it just taking the branding off of the outside, of the boat, it just, it makes sense. Uh, you know, the, they're bigger, they're wider, they handle, you know, uh, handle waves quite well, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the big one is it doesn't have the carpet. And you might miss it, certainly fishing late season when there's ice on the deck. That would be in the disadvantage. But as far as the rest of the year, you know, your, your late spring, early summer, all through the summer and early fall, you know, it's just so much easier to clean. Uh, you know, just hose it off and not dealing with, you know, as much of that. And although the bass and musky world do like all the flashy colors in their boat, you know, you can still get that in the bay boat, but you can also get something that's more basic and boring if you're not into that big flash. You know, and let's face it, the, the bay boat has become, you know, the, the boat for, uh, you know, the family as well. It's the serious fishing boat, but it's also the family boat and it's also the pontoon boat. You know, a lot of people can't have two or three or four different boats. So the bay boat has just become so universal here in Florida. And, and frankly, you know, same kind of thing up north. You can put a T-top on it. My 2020 has a T-top on. So you can get, a, you know, out of the out of the elements a little bit, whether it's rain or sun. Some of them have bathrooms that are being installed now on the center console. So uh, there certainly is a reason why you're seeing some of that, that trend kind of coming up a little bit uh you know, more north, uh, you know, or at least leaving Florida and heading, uh, heading your general direction. Yeah. The one thing I think about too, you know, I, I run a big, I have a 24 foot John boat that I use the month of June when I'm doing my trolling thing. And it is, mm -hmm. a, it's a center console. It allows me to basically have a wheel boat, but it's almost like a tiller in a sense, because 
you're towards the rear of the boat, so you have that comfort of the ride. But it allows such an open platform. You know, you can run around that center console and you can you can work a fish or you can move around it. Um, it's not like your typical council boat that most people think in the musky world. Yeah, I mean, just that it, it makes perfect sense. It's a tool, right? It's a, it's a working tool and, and plenty of room and people are comfortable and can accomplish what it is you're trying to accomplish. It means it works. John, you're right, John. You're right. Uh, I, I just, I, I find it interesting that, you know, that's kind of been, I would say, one thing that I've seen from salt back to fresh that we're really seeing. I mean, and we're seeing it in a big way, actually. Kind of a neat well, I think you're, yes, and I think your bigger bodies of water, that's going to be a trend, you know, uh, that you're, that you're going to see. I mean, there, there's no great secret that, uh, you know, muskies like to bite or muskies hang in those big bodies of waters and, and uh, muskies like to bite, uh, you know, when it's windy, choppy and kind of snotty. And, uh, you know, let's, let's face it, there's a big difference between that old 18 or 19 you know, ranger that everybody kind of was in 15 years ago, uh, or, you know, pick whatever other flavor you were in. You start talking these 22, 23, 24. Now there's a 25 Skeeter that's just coming out. 26, a buddy of mine just got a bay boat. Again, 24, 25, 26 foot bay boats. That's, that's a whole different uh, animal up in those big bodies of water. Yeah, hands down it is. I mean, that that's incredible, actually. So what kind of horsepower are you running on that? on that boat the 24 skeeter uh has a 300 yamaha on it um and that's that's the same engine my my last co have had and uh it's the right combination it it, it works out very well you know it's not going to set any sort of land speed records that's one thing about those you know the bay boats with a 300 they're still you know 50 55 mile an hour boats they're not the 75 mile an hour boats at the end of the day let's face it that's plenty fast when you're talking on the water i mean that's plenty <laughs> most clients are scared to death to go faster than that to be honest What's your typical day on the water, John? I mean, how many miles are you rolling, you know, on a typical day? Well, that certainly, you know, uh, certainly varies depending on time of the year and, and what I'm doing. But I'm on average day, if I'm fishing out of the Everglades, I'm typically fishing then out of um, my Maverick uh, flats boat or out of a skiff. Um, just shallow water, more backcountry, uh, you know, a little soft, smaller boat, that's about 17 foot. And oftentimes, uh, you know, I'll put that in and I'll run, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles deep into the Everglades. And then, you know, the next day I might be fishing the bay boat on a Marco and only be running, you know, five miles. So it really, you know, it's, it's a luxury that I have, uh, you know, with a couple different different boats to be able to do different things, but it also allows me to be fishing in a more freshwater environment or a more salt environment or, you know, basically wherever uh, wherever the best opportunity is to, to find the fish. But some days, uh, to answer your question, Brad, some days it might be 100 miles round trip. And other days, it may only be 10. Sounds an awful lot like musky fishing, doesn't it? It does, but, you know, that 100-mile that round trip probably is a little more than uh, what most of our musky guys are going to do. You know, I mean, you get on Lake of the Woods or something like that, you can put miles in, there's no doubt. But, you know, I, at the end of the day... 50 would be big then. Yeah, probably 50 would be a big day. But That would be. You know, and 100 is a stretch for me. I mean, I'm just using a round number. But, you know, no, 60 is easy. Yep. Six, 60 happens a lot, round trip. And that's pretty amazing. I mean, honestly, I mean, and when you're doing that kind of miles, I mean, your boat is important at that point. You you want to be in comfort, right? 
Well, you, you do. And, you know, uh, no one's ever accused riding around in a flats boat as being comfortable. But those bay boats, certainly comfortable. And when you go back and forth, you realize how comfortable those bay boats really are. But the flats boats have a tool, are a tool, just like we were talking about your boat in June. It's a tool that gets us back there and gets us doing the things that we're trying to do and, and not in any type of, type of trouble. And the big one there when you're making those big runs is, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere down here. Service is a little limited, et cetera, et cetera. You got to have some pretty, some pretty good and some new and some reliable equipment too. So um, I try to not ever have any of my engines more than eh, a year and a half, you know, two years is getting to be a little too old. I, I rarely keep anything that long. So. Do, do my best to have stuff fresh and new and hopefully get us back, you know? <laughs> well, give back kind of a big key. <laughs> it, it is. It's, it, and, and, you know, we've, we all have a few of those stories, but try, try to have some good equipment and, and uh, try to make it all work. Well, that's, that's awesome. I, I uh, definitely need to come down there and spend a day with you, John, at least a day. It's something that Carrie and I have discussed for forever. And then we have a mutual friend that lives not too far from you. Um, and of course he's been inviting us down like crazy in the near future. We're going to have to make that happen. Yes, you definitely should. And, and your mutual friend has a, a standing invitation for you, plenty of room for you. So yeah, no excuses is what I'm getting here. Brad Gary. <laughs> the problem is, is that the prime time for this whole tarpon thing is when we are really, really busy and trying to ship baits. That's something Jeff doesn't probably know about is shipping baits, right, Jeff? Nothing. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty slow over here. <laughs> well, well, Brad, you have to remember this whole prime time thing when it comes to tarpon. We're, we're fortunate enough here in South Florida that realistically, you know, we're in tarpon or we have a better than average chance of having, you know, good tarpon fishing from the middle of October through June. You know, even into the first part of July. So when you're talking about prime time with kids and vacation and everything, yeah, there's spring break and you want to get out of there, et cetera, et cetera. But realistically, I mean, you have a great chance, you know, on, you know, some of the kids have a, have a February break. February is a great tarpon month down here. So, you know, you got February to look at. You've got March. The, you know, most spring breaks are there. That's prime time. April. All prime time, May and June, you know, that's the one that everybody reads about in every saltwater magazine. And yes, that is indeed prime time. But at the end of the day, you know, short of it getting a little too cold sometimes in January, that, that mess can mess some things up or, you know, get unlucky. Like when you said you typically go somewhere, you bring some real nasty cold fronts with, please stay away. Uh, or at least keep, keep your up north weather up north. But at, at the end of the day, you, you know, you've got, that's a big you know, a big time frame. You know, again, middle of October through June, a lot of opportunities in there. Maybe take away a couple week thing there in January to fight a few of the cold fronts. But you can't use excuses as uh, you know the kids' spring break break times aren't good times to come down for prime tarpon fishing. You're you're just wrong on that one, Brad. They're good times. <laughs> it's all good. Well, <laughs> it's as simple as this as well. You know, when's a good time to go musky fishing? when you can go just go right i mean right. it isn't always about the catch either right so i mean Correct. it's good good company and um just the excitement of being able to to go do something different that alone is worth a bunch so i i totally Absolutely. Get it. and and you know 
I have spent some time in Florida doing some fishing. I have not fished for tarpon, although I have caught a tarpon. I caught one in uh, St. Thomas how many years ago? 11, almost 11, 11 years ago. ago now. But I would say that that experience was nothing like what I've seen you're capable of providing. So, you know, it, it, it's something that I definitely need to go do. And one of the things that I think is interesting too, John, is that you've seen I know numerous, our, our mutual friend, Dave, I mean, he's obviously a muskie fisherman at heart. He's went down there. He's become a tarpon guy. You have some other guides down in your area that came from Minnesota as well now. You know, you, you said it in the very beginning. You were one of the first pretty much tarpon guides down there. It, it kind of amazes me, actually. You know, and, and how many years ago? 23, you said? Yeah, you know, 23, uh, 24 years ago now. And, and now I have to point out, there were... There certainly were some, you know, tarpon guides, you know, down here because tarpon have existed in Florida, you know, forever. It's just what what I kind of was fortunate enough to get it kind of on the front end of is, you know, again, that crossover event between basically taking the, the musky fishing from up north in your Minnesota world and Wisconsin world and, you know, bringing it down here. And, and that's really something, you know, that's really something that wasn't happening here. And in fact, it wasn't happening at all here. So it was, and it was just natural for me because that's, again, you know, kind of what I grew up doing. So again, it became very natural. And uh, all I did was started to go musky fishing, like I've done in all of the lakes that you guys all go in and, and fish in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Canada. I just incorporated, you know, some of those same techniques and tactics down here and just, I just started musky fishing in South Florida, for lack of a better way of phrasing it. Yeah, it. It blows my mind. I mean, whether it be like Ben Olson or Jason Hammernick, I mean, they've kind of followed right. suit with what you, you accomplished. Uh, and they're doing some unique stuff down there. So let me ask you this. I mean, mm-hmm. are you using live bait, dead bait, or would you rather use artificial? You know, to be honest, I would al- I would always lean towards wanting to be able to use uh, you know, artificials, but, you know, let's be honest here too, right? It's, there's an awful lot of times that it's very nice to be able to do them both. And that's one thing that, that the Bay boats and including the two other captains that you just mentioned there, uh, you know, Ben and Jason also in, you know, Pathfinder Bay boats. It's a, it's a luxury because you basically can still be using some sort of live bait, you know, out the back. And you certainly can still have your anglers, you know, casting on the aircraft carry over the front deck and really be, you know, I guess for comparison with you guys, two on the front would be casting in the fall and you've got a sucker, you know, out the back. Some people love it. Some people, you know, hate it and that's okay. You know, nobody's right or wrong in that. But, you know, the live bait thing, it also makes up for, you know, uh, inexperience. You might have a kid or a grandkid. You might have, you know, everybody else. So the, the bait thing can really help. Plus, then you get sharks kind of mixed in and everything else. And, you know, sometimes when you're working too hard after a few hours of casting, a, you know, a, a shark hit on the live bait, kind of a, a nice little refreshing twist. But no, if I if I had to pick, I would pick, you know, artificial. That certainly is my favorite way. It's certainly most of your viewing audience would be their, you know, favorite way because that's what they're used to doing. But there are certainly times and places here in the saltwater world, you know, you fish for snook and redfish, uh, you were staying up Fort Myers way. Sometimes you're using live bait, sometimes you're using dead bait, sometimes you're using shrimp, and sometimes you're using artificials, and sometimes you use them all in one day. 
just you got to, you know, uh, go with the flow and, and feed them what they want to eat, try different things and, and see what's working or not working. But no, artificials would be my choice if I got to pick. Yeah, that's cool. I, I think, um, and you've told me before, I mean, a lot of the times that's more of like a minnow style type bait, correct? I mean, matching that correct. hatch, if you will, or, or, you know, people always say to match the hatch, but, you know, honestly, I think in saltwater, it probably means more than it probably does in the musky world. You know, I, I would probably agree with you, Brad. I mean, it's very cliche. Yes, match the hatch. But at the end of the day, that's fishing, right? I mean, it, when you're fishing artificials, you're trying to match something that a fish naturally eats. And in the saltwater world, there's some, you know, some, some main bait fish, as we mentioned earlier, um, you know, like threadfoot herring. They're kind of, you know, bright and shiny with a little green backs. And then there's, uh, you know, scaled sardines, which is a, another very similar, you know, shiny type, you know, where the sun hits on the side of them and they, you know, kind of glint off. And then there's, you know, pinfish, which are the name basically look, you know, a lot like a bluegill, you know, and, and, and then there's just the fact that fish eat other fish. So, you know, you, you might've called it a, a, a game fish or a sport fish here when you were jigging for, you know, maybe little trout or a little sand perch or something like that when you took kids fishing. But at the same time, that's, that's what those big pelagic fish or the tarpon style fish are, are interested in eating too. So yeah, you're just matching the hatch, but something six, seven, eight inches long, that's, uh, that's pretty much matching the hatch, whatever it is, right? That's what they want to eat. Right, right. That makes perfect sense. So, John, you back to some of your equipment. You said you like to run the newer boats. I know these two are both chomping at the bit to, to ask this question. What about electronics? What about electronics? I have, on my Maverick, I have, or my, my smaller boat on my skiff, I have a, a Lowrance, uh HDS uh, 12 Live. And on my new uh, 2020 Skeeter, they put a, a Simrad DNSS Evo 3, which is also a 12-inch. Now, the follow-up is, do I use them? Yes, I do use them. And I'm learning a little bit more. Technology is amazing. Um, you know, some of this, uh, you know, some sonar stuff and the side scan stuff and, and some other things. I mean, they're they're quite the useful tools now you know the charting and the mapping i mean it obviously is great you know I, that's not super important to me I, I don't want to say i know everything that's not what i'm getting at but that stuff isn't uh you know nearly as important as some of these other technological features that let's face it have helped us all in fishing whether it's musky tarpon or anything else if you're fishing for fish that uh you know that you're casting to in 10 12 feet of water and all of a sudden you can potentially see that fish or a group of fish that's you know, maybe 60, 70 feet, uh, you know, off the starboard side. It, let's face it, we didn't know that fish was there up until maybe three or four years ago. And now, thanks to technology, you might sit there and hover or power pull down and attack that fish, again, like a muskie behind a rock pile, tarping the same thing. And uh, it increases your hits, it increases your strikes. Technology is amazing. It really is. And I'm, I'm not Mr. Technology by any stretch of the imagination, but I have been convinced that, uh, yes, very, very important. Simmerad is kind of interesting to me. I, I remember a good friend of mine was running Simmerad. Um, man, this is probably stretching it, probably in like 93, 94. And I've been around some of those electronics, but that's that's an electronic that most of our freshwater fishermen probably don't know about. Can you maybe share a little bit about that? Yeah, 
but you know, now uh, to be honest with you, Brad, you're right. Uh, back in those days, I mean, they were in a different, uh, kind of in a different league. Uh, you know, only the basically ex Navy people were the only people that were really using them. You know, it, it just it wasn't user friendly. It didn't have a good interface. It just you know everybody would spend you know hummingbirds or ants to Garmin along the way. But Simrad is Lawrence now, and every the screen is identical. In fact, if I if I take the Lawrence stickers off of my H, my new HDS and take the Simrad stickers off, you can't you barely can tell the difference between the two units at all. The interface is the same, the side scan is the same, the the mapping is the same, the the menu, the buttons, or whatever. Basically, at the end of the day, they're they're the same people now. So um, when I say Simrad, yeah, a lot of people haven't heard of them. But now it's basically like saying Lorance. Uh, and in fact, when you order it on the Pro program, it comes from the same place. <laughs> well, back in the day, like in that mid '90s time frame, I mean, if you had a Simrad in your boat, I mean, that was like top notch, stone hard. Yeah. And so, I, like I said, I re- I remember those days, and I remember we had it mounted under the console. If you can imagine that, because it was hard to see that screen unless it was shaded. So under the console was was an important part to that whole mounting process. That's a little funny. bit different. Yeah, because the screens, yeah. The, you, if the sun was shining, you couldn't see anything. A little different now, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're so blessed with uh, the different equipment that we have today. I mean, it's remarkable. It really, truly is. Could not agree more. I mean, it's... Uh... Just look at how we've come in the last four or five years. I mean, how cool is it going to be? What you know, none of us know it yet, but what we're going to see in the next four or five years. I mean, it's you know, because now you're starting to start, you know, have some of this live scope stuff and live scan stuff, and you know, uh, pick your flavor between the panoptics and you know some of these other things that we know are on the horizon and coming out. I mean, that's just that's just game changing. It truly is, and I, you know, it was funny we. I don't know how long ago it was, Jeff, here, but we had James Linder on. And, you know, the Linders have the opportunity at using some of that technology earlier before the rest of us general public know. He kind of, I mean, he he put light on it that, hey, just wait, you know, another year, five years, it's going to really, really change. But, you know, the neat thing about getting older, I guess, is being able to actually... Um, have used some of this technology as it's kind of grown. And it's remarkable for me. I mean, it really, truly blows my mind. Yeah. Well, look at the first time you put a Navionics chip or, or, you know, pick your flavor of chip in. I mean, that, that was the, you know, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, or, you know, that the time kind of is difficult to, to narrow it down. But I mean, that was like the most incredible thing. You went to a new lake and all of a sudden you had already a little bit of a map. Right there on your screen. I mean, that was, I, most of us couldn't possibly imagine anything getting any better than that. <laughs> right? You're totally right. I mean, I've talked about it before. I mean, it, it was a frustration moment for me because, you know, here it is, countless, countless hours on different bodies of water for me to learn. And all of a sudden, $150, you learned everything that I've learned over a period of 10, 15 years. You know what I mean? <laughs> So yes, and now it, you're now you're sounding very old, Brad. I, I know. I, <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I get made fun of all the time on here because Jeff tells me all the time that I'm I'm old school. So definitely, 
You are. <laughs> See, Carrie agrees. When well, you first started that and you said that one of the benefits of getting old and then you were going to go, you talked about being able to see it from from its infancy, I thought maybe you were going to say, one of the benefits of getting old is you can actually afford these technologies. That's true, too. Yeah, that kind of comes full circle, right? Yep. No, that's a big part of it. Like you say, it's it, the technology is there, but you, you have to save your pennies. It's hard to stomach some of it, honestly. I mean, I, I, I will be the first to admit, when side, side imaging first came out, I had it in my boat and I had, well, I had two boats at the time. So I was running a tiller boat and a council boat. And honestly, I had a, both Lawrence and I had Humminbird and neither of them like truly impressed me at that point. But when, when Humminbird came out with the mega that changed the rules, it really truly did. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I kind of bit my tongue and I went, man, I don't know that I really need it. And then Matt Seifert got, I got in his boat and I went, wow, I got to have this. And within a week I had it, you know, I mean, a week, it, it was like two days. I think we drove to Reed's to get it the next day. Okay. Maybe we did, but <laughs> <laughs> it sounds uh, like Brad. Yeah. Right? I'm, a, I'm a junkie. I mean, what do you, what do you <laughs> say? You know what I mean? You just kind of, you go with that I flow, it was right? about time you admitted it. Yeah. <laughs> I can delete this uh, out, Brad. <laughs> yeah, please, please. Um, no, I, honestly, though, I mean, that says something. Because, I mean, if you, if you, I don't know how to explain it, you know, you get to that point where it's like, no, I got to have this. This is what's going to keep me in the game. It, it's pretty amazing stuff. It really, truly is. Certainly. It does shorten the learning curve, there's no doubt. But you don't necessarily have to have it. No, uh, I, I definitely got muskies without it. I catch muskies now, and I'm not always using it, so it's definitely possible. And I'm not even that good at catching muskies, so random guys could be able to catch them too. Yeah, it's it is definitely a nice tool, but it's not something if you if you can't afford it, it's not something you have to have to be able to catch fish. No, I I say sell your kids. I mean, <laughs> do what you got to do. Get it done. <laughs> oh that bodes well for me. I got a bunch of them to sell, so things are looking up. <laughs> well, I've only got two, but I, I, I tell you, one of them, I can, I, I'm fine. I, I can probably get down to one. <laughs> yeah. How many kids do you have, John? Two, he said. Uh, two, yeah. We got a 13 year old son and a nine year old daughter. You probably want to sell the 13 year old, right? Yep. Yep, right now. And <laughs> until the nine until the until the nine becomes thirteen, I suppose then that changes. I don't know. That's what I'm told. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. This whole world of electronics and what's taking place is truly remarkable. Is it a necessity? No. But uh at the end of the day it definitely is a it's a tool that needs to be put into your toolbox, if you will. For catching fish, and I, I, I can't deny that. I don't think you guys would deny that. But do you have to have it? No, you don't. But it is remarkable. It truly is. Yep, I agree completely. It, and like you just said, Brad, it's a tool. You can you can certainly do without it, whether it's in the freshwater world up north or, or down here in the salt world. But uh, at the end of the day, boy, it is a nice tool. It is a very useful tool. So let me ask you this. How much time do you get to spend here in the North World? 
I know that you and your son come up duck hunting because that's something yep. that we share together. I mean, we, we both love waterfalling. So I, I realize that that's a big part of your life and it is mine as well. But, you know, for fishing wise, how much time do you get to spend up here? I know you're so busy down there. I mean, it, it must be tough. Yeah, it, you know, it is. We're, we're lucky enough to have a, a family cabin that we've had for a long time in northern Wisconsin. So I do always try to get up there at least in the summer. But typically the, the guide year or, or season for me finishes up kind of the, the first part of July, like right after the 4th of July. And I usually try to take a little time off. So usually I get up north, call it like, you know, July 10 to August 10. But the the biggest problem that run into there with, with my tarpon season going, you know, again into early July, the kids down here start school like around August 10th. So we don't have the luxury of starting after Labor Day like you guys do up north. So we try to squeeze all the family vacation and uh, sort of our my summertime, you know, all in there. Now, you know, that allows for some summer fishing, but uh, as all of us can, all of us know and can certainly appreciate family vacation time sometimes doesn't turn into maximum amount of musky fishing time. I know that sounds interesting and weird, (laughs) but uh, doing lots of other, you know, family stuff, but don't worry. I always get on a few lakes and always, uh, you know, squeeze in a little bit of fishing, but not a ton up North. If I'm being honest. Yeah. I I hear you, John. I, the, the door is wide open here for you to come up anytime. If you very much appreciate that. I mean, you guys are always welcome. I know you've always given me that invite as well, and I share the same way. Um, I would love to have you up and uh, and share the boat with you here as well as down there. But uh, you know, I'm one question looking forward have, to both ends someday. Exactly. We just need to make it happen. You know, that that's what it comes down to. So I gotta ask Jeff. Come on, man. Uh, I'm wondering how much time have you spent on the salt? Have you have you been able to get out on the salt at all? None. Nope. Nothing. I Jensen always tells me that I should come down, but he always goes right after the Wausau show for two weeks, and then so that's always that was always the Minnesota show. So he misses the Minnesota show for me because he's always off playing in saltwater, and he's sending me pictures daily of all the stuff that he's catching and he's loving it because he does it all down there. And then, um, so he gets to miss out on Minnesota, but this year, if he does that, I think I'm going to try to get him to come back to the Minnesota show because I mean, he'll have no excuse, right? If he's in, if he's in Wisconsin, he might as well come to the show. <laughs> well, that's an argument for you two, but I, I, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like you and Steve have to fight over this one, <laughs> <laughs> but I do have to, you know, I'm I'm curious, Jeff. I mean, you have to have kind of that drive to go out. I mean, listening to John and different guests that we've had on the show, you have to have that interest to go do that, right? Oh, 100%. Like John said, it's like, you know, musky fishing, except I can go do it in November and have good weather that I don't have to deal with ice and snow and cold. And he said, you know, I mean, you can use all your regular gear that Steve talks to me about all the time. I and mean, he goes out there, throws four or five, six-inch baits, little twitch baits, phantoms, whatever. And, you know, they don't get a shot at one every single day, or maybe they get a shot at one, but they don't always land them. I guess they're, is that right, John? They're kind of hard to hook sometimes. Yeah, hard to hook. And then, you know, hard to sort of keep connected. And at at the end of the day, you know, you you usually count on, you know, it's like one out of five stay connected. 
Really? I mean, as far as, you know, the fish that you hook and then fish that you, you know, quote unquote, as I'm putting my little two fingers up here, you know, that you caught them, uh, you know, or have it over both sides, you know, really that's about one out of five. The other ones, you know, somewhere along the way on the first jump is a real common sign. They jump and toss it. You know, sometimes it's five minutes in, they kind of do that. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that can go wrong when, you know, you're talking 120, 130, maybe 150 pound fish that's, you know, connected on one little treble that just jumped its 15th time during the fight. I mean, you know, let's face it, um, the odds are in the fish's favor, not in yours. That whole, you know, little mini hole is getting a little bigger and a little bigger every jump. And sooner or later, you know, a lot of times those hooks pop out. So, yeah, to your kind of a, a long way to answer your question. But no, you do not. You certainly do not catch everyone that you hook, not even close to that. But you realize the fun is really the first five minutes of it anyway, to be honest with you. The the take, the jumps, the wild and crazy, I mean, it's a it's like a hundred pound smallmouth bass, right? Just acts crazy. And that's just that's just good fun. So anyways, Brad, getting back to that question, I think anybody that musky fishes should have this on their list of things they should they should consider at some point because it's like musky fishing on steroids, essentially. Uh, hands down. I mean, it's probably the best way to explain it, right? I mean, John can tell us yeah. more, but you know, yeah, I, it is. I, it's it's musky fishing on steroids. It, it's awesome. It really, truly is. I mean, what a what a privilege to be able to go do that, you know. And the opportunities are there. It's just a matter of pulling the trigger. I mean, I, get out there and do it, right? Right. Well, in talking to John here, since he said like mid-October through June can be a good time for him, I had always assumed that I needed to be there in March and April to get on a decent bite. Well, obviously, you know, I have the same problem that you guys do. March and April are really busy months for me, both with both businesses. It's hard for me to get away for three, four, five days to go down there and do it. Well, the mid-November time frame isn't really such a bad time because typically we don't really get rolling until... You know, like November can be kind of tough like it was this year, depending upon how the weather goes. And obviously the weather this year was crappy. So guys were done in the Midwest musky fishing sooner. Well, if they're done fishing, they're not ordering as much stuff. So then we got to go. Now we're talking Christmas. Well, Christmas doesn't really get fired up till Black Friday. So if you were able to sneak it in sometime from the the mid uh, November time frame until before Black Friday, it'd be something that would be totally doable on my end. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, and don't, you know, one of, don't ever uh, just let me interject there real quick. Uh, yeah, don't ever, don't ever forget about uh, you know, like basically the month of December too. It's that's that's one of the great little sleeper months. Get done doing your bright Black Friday sales and shopping, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. December is an excellent, excellent month to be in Florida, and it's never talked about because tourists don't come here. People leave at Thanksgiving, they, they come Christmas week, but there's a three-week stretch that's kind of you know, in between all of that, that typically the weather's great, the fishing's good, we're in it right now, tarpon fishing's been pretty strong. It, again, it, it's a little side note there that, yes, I said from the middle of October through, you know, the, the end of June, first part of July, I mean, we're lucky enough to have that long of a stretch. So, yes, as soon as your water freezes up north, basically... You know, little little escapes, playing with in fresh water rather than having to you know drill a hole. But uh, but yes, uh, I, I just wanted to mention that December is just December is probably in my top two or three months now. Uh, to be honest with you, as far as tarpon fishing goes, and nobody That's talks cool. about it. Yeah, yeah, it's remarkable. I, I 
do you do you think that some of that is due to some of your experience here in the Midwest? I mean, can you relate that back to this, or is it just something that has been overlooked for so many years? I think it's just something that's basically, you know, it's overlooked. People have everything else on their minds, right? Uh, you know, you're, you're getting ready for, you know, deer hunting, uh, you know, Thanksgiving week and then Thanksgiving with your family. And then the business world, you have to get a little bit of business world in, you know, after Thanksgiving, the first part of December, because let's face it, about the 18th or maybe 15th of December, the business world about shuts down for the year. So everybody has to get their orders and their sales and their, you know, it's go, go, go time. Nobody takes the time to actually worry about going fishing anywhere there. And I think, frankly, that's why it's never been talked about. It's nothing to do with bad weather and nothing to do with bad fishing. It's just, you know, it took me probably 10 years of guiding before I started to do 25 days, 26 days of guiding the month of December. There just, nobody was here. So it's it's a little sleeper tourist time that just happens to be a a really nice time to be down tarpon fishing. Yeah, it's interesting. That's super interesting. So, Brad, sounds like TRO and Musky Mayhem, we're just going to do a combined YouTube shoot down there, and we're going to go down in uh, mid, mid-November, mid early December-ish next year to go film some tarpon. Well, I'm all in. I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, <laughs> this invite from John is for real, and it's been there for forever. And now, with Big Dave living down there, it's the same gig, you know, and, and he's pushing me probably harder than John has. I'm fortunate to have these friends that are, you know, they're down there doing it and I haven't taken them up on it. It's kind of sad, actually. You know, in November timeframe, what a great time for, for Carrie and I to slip away. I mean, October and November are down month. Yeah, we need to figure something out. There's no, no, no excuse, really. None. I mean, I know she'd taken plenty of pics from the deer stand in November. I got a bunch of them. Take a few less, head her down to Florida. I want you to know I sat four days. You asked Brad Hoppy how many days he sat in a tree. Forty. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more. I don't know. I do I do There's know this, Brad. Whenever I, whenever there was a podcast to get done, you were there getting the podcast done. So that's all I know. All right. I don't I don't know what goes on around Muskie Mayhem Tackle headquarters, but I know as far as the podcast is concerned, you were the far more consistent performer this year. I see how this is going. I, I appreciate that, Jeff. And and that's really the bottom line. Well, you know, Carrie, if if Brad and I don't have fan clubs, we're going to be our own fan club together, you know? Yeah, you two are, are going to need it. Yeah, right. Down. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I sat a lot of days. There's no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, I, I'm blessed to have the wife that I have that allows me to, to be able to do some of the stuff that I do. But um I won't say any more about that. <laughs> hey, so John, I got a I got a question. There's one difference that I've learned between talking to you or and talking to Dave a bunch that is different between a tar- tarpon and muskie fishing wise is when you up on one, there's times where you need to bow to them, correct? Where you would never bow to a muskie. Yeah, actually, and, and you're right. That's that's one of the few um, things you can kind of point out as kind of a distinct difference. Yeah, if with your grandfather or father or whomever it was that taught you how to muskie fish, if the first time the muskie came out of the water and you bowed to it, he probably would never have taken you fishing ever again. Purposely giving him slack, 
you know, that was a, that would be ju- just the worst thing you could ever do in muskie fishing. Well, in tarpon fishing, it turns out, yes, when one jumps, the best thing to do is to, you know, sort of bow to them or give them slack. And there's a lot of different theories as to the why, but at the end of the day, it's basically, uh, you know, you have 50-pound line, you've got 80-pound leader, you've got 150-pound fish, it flies five feet out of the water, the line's tight as can be, and it comes and lands on the leader, you probably know what's going to happen, something has to give. Plus, oftentimes, they, they, when they jump, they do all these, you know, circles and loops and head over heels type of arrangements up in the air. And the lion just wraps around their bodies and gets in the gills sometimes. So if that stays tight, especially when the fish is big or if you have, you know, any little nick anywhere along the way, you know, it's going to pop. So that's what just bowing is basically just, you know, giving them slack and just absorbing that. So when they get that back in the water, they can kind of unfold that or unroll that or, you know, it's. It's not the out of the air or the impact of that big fish, you know, landing on the tight line. And in essence, uh, you know, again, something's going to go. So it's going to break. But, uh, yeah, that's an interesting little side note. 99% of the things are, are um, you know, certainly completely similar. Uh, but that is one distinct difference. And, and, yes, the musky people are terrible usually their first time at that when you say bow. Uh, because some of them, you know, well, they'll set the hook when the fish jumps, and that then you, then that really, really count. You can count on it breaking off immediately, every time. But they continue to test it. So, like when you say set the hook, you mean yep. like you can't you can't give them give it to them. Well, when I'm saying that, I mean you know, again, it, it used to be, and and I don't really know what. It, I mean, Brad would be best to chime in here. You know, back when you started, when the, the muskie flew out of the water, did you tell your clients to set the hook or jerk more? No, no. Okay. I get what you're saying now. Yeah. I mean, but I'm way, way back, way back when I think that was the muskie mentality, you know, especially back well, in the old school lines and everything like that. Force every time is what you're saying. Yeah. No, double, or um, double set. Oh, double set. Yeah. Double setting was something that a lot of people, they still preach that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to live bait, I mean, you want to make sure that that hook set is really, really crammed in there. But at the end of the day, um, there's some finesse involved as well. I mean, that, that's a tough one. It, it, it's something that it is. I think you personally learn over a period of years, right? Yeah. Well, I think you learn your, you know, like I say, you learn what personally is best with you and, and all those things. I mean, you know, some people set the hook like, you know, as hard as humanly possible and gradually going to, you know, fall out of the boat in the process. And others just know to kind of swing the right angle and kind of just get the rod tight. Let let the rod do the work, you know, and it, it's what works for you, you know. And, and I think with today's super lines, you know, you can kind of get away with a lot more mistakes. It makes up for it. You know, I, I watch somebody do their kind of sweeping or swooping musky, uh, musky uh, you know, hooks at just this week, in fact. I watch it plain as day. The, you know, big old 140-pound tarpon comes and eats the guy's plug, you know, right to left. He swoops to the left straight away from the fish and pulls the, the lure straight out of this, you know, giant fish's mouth as he's trying to eat it. Turns out that wasn't a great approach. But we've all been there, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't care who you are, right? I mean, there's mistakes in fishing. And, um, yep, love and learn. Yeah, we live and learn, right? I mean, I I don't know. I, I can think of tons of examples of what we're talking about right now where somebody did something that didn't work at that particular point. Would it have worked 
one other time, it possibly could have, you know, it, it's a tough call. It truly is. So I'm assuming this is a lot of sight where you're, see, you're seeing these fish eat. So is it kind of like fishing a top water where you need to actually feel weight before you're setting the hook type thing? You know, Carrie, that's actually a pretty good comparison because, you know, so many of these lures that you're fishing, it really is in the top, you know, six inches, top 12 inches, you know, or, you know, at least in the top 18 inches and the water of the water column. And, you know, the water is typically, you know, fairly clear. You know, obviously that varies a little bit, even when it's, when it's a little darker, a little tannic, it's still clear enough to be able to see it, especially when there's the sun is shining down. So yeah, realistically you see, as far as the visual, uh, you see probably 80% of your strikes and it's a pretty for real experience, especially when you're not used to doing them. You can see, you know, people that, you know, to like Brad's point here, you know, you could go down the list of, from a guide standpoint of all the, you know, quote unquote mistakes that you see. But at the end of the day, there's a deer in the headlight type thing. You know, you're, you're up there on the bow of a boat and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're fishing and all of a sudden this, you know, seven foot dinosaur comes off the bottom and eats your ploy. You don't know what to do. So you stand there, but yes, you, you know, a lot of that is pretty visual. Um, and, and you do see, again, that's probably 80% of the time you see that happen, which let's face it, that's pretty cool. doesn't matter what you're fishing sure. for. That's pretty cool. For sure. Unless, unless your, your boat captain's hollering at you to set the hook when, when you don't need to yet. Brad. Wow. I'll I'll just say this. She's tried and tried to just put everything on me. But, you know, thank God Jeff is there to save me. (laughs) No, I caught my first fish casting this year in 10 years. Now, keep in mind, I don't spend a whole lot of time on the water anymore. Some, Some of us have to work. But it was well, you're, the, you're a mom too, Carrie. You got to remember that. You got to, you know. I know, but my kid likes to fish. So she, she actually spends a lot of time in the boat. Like she'll go with Brad to when he guides to, just for a line. That's awesome. When he's, when he's trolling and stuff. So, but he was, you, we could see the fish quite a ways out and it swung and missed my bait. And he kept hollering at me to set the hook. And I kept hollering back that I didn't feel any weight yet. And, I did end up getting the fish once I felt weight, but it was once she, once she set the hook, she got the fish. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a it was a comical battle, and then a panic. So it was good. <laughs> I don't know how comical it was, but yeah, okay. It was comical. <laughs> I wish I wish as a I as a husband, supported. Brad. It was comical and it was fantastic, and just leave it at that. Yeah. All right. I'm with you. Uh, it was, it was funny. No, it was all good. You know, I, unfortunately, you know, like back in the day when I was really, really guiding, I mean, I'm talking every day of the season, the first Saturday of June, all the way through, you know, December 1st, I literally was on the water every stinking day. And today I don't guide quite that aggressively. And so it's allowed Carrie and I to actually fish again. And, you know, for a long time, Carrie really didn't share the boat with me. And, and in the beginning it, she did, you know, and, and so it's, it's really cool to be able to go out and fish with my wife and I'm fishing, we're fishing with our daughter. Mika has not caught one casting yet, but she's caught some muskies trolling. We had a real heartbreaker in October. She, she dumped one that was over 50 and 
it was a kind of a crazy deal, but Matt Seifert was in the boat with us. We had his kids. We had uh, Duff in the boat from Supernatural. And his kid, we share, all three of us have the same nine-year-old kid. So it's kind of neat to see Matt's kids got their very first muskie. Um, Mika was going to get her biggest muskie by far. It was, you know, over 50 inches real easily. And Matt hung it up in the net. I think I felt worse for Matt than I did for Mika, honestly. Uh, And the reason I say that is Matt, uh, it's on film, and his facial and i mean not even seeing his face looking at him from the back he was wrecked he was totally wrecked and he literally told me he goes i just want to vomit he goes i just can't believe what just took place and so i i honestly i felt worse for him than i did my own daughter because uh he was just like beside himself you know but as you said earlier i mean that's fishing that's part of fishing and Mika's yep. learned that early in life. And I don't know. I mean, I, what more can you say about that, I guess? I will but, say, though, that she still does not want to talk about that. No, she doesn't. I, I don't blame her, you know. <laughs> but it's really yeah, cool. Like, oh, I was just going to say, yeah. But, I mean, that that's just awesome. Plus, it's a, it's a great experience, and it just reinforces reality somebody at the level of matt seifert obviously he's met a fish or two before in his life and you know yeah even the pros and the best of the best that you know have blunders and and uh but she got to see it and uh how awesome is it that she was just out there and the kids were out there and uh you know it's it's just an all-around great experience hands down you're exactly right and i think um you know a lot of us take it for granted sometimes, but I, I, truly, that's what it's really about. I mean, who cares? You lose a fish, whatever. It, it is what it is. You you go, you keep working, and you get another one, you know? It's supposed to be fun, and honestly, how much more fun is it to be able to watch your own child, you know, fighting this fish and, and doing the things that she was doing? It was so super cool, and, we, and the neat thing is we got it on film, it's something that we'll be able to watch for years and years. Right. So I don't know. I love all of it. I really do. Well, John, thanks a lot for coming out tonight. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to come on the podcast. If people are looking for more information on you and your business and what you offer, how do they get in touch with you? Well, uh, several different ways. Uh, Ken, Captain John Siebold webpage, www.sfpfishingoutfitters.com. Same Facebook, Instagram, that kind of thing between Captain John Siebold and SFP Fishing Outfitters. You can, you know, certainly email link through there as well, through the webpage, et cetera, et cetera. And my phone number, 239-537-6630. I've got myself, I've got three other captains that uh, work with me as well. So we can pretty much accommodate an awful lot of people with a lot of different needs and multiple bay boats and multiple flats boats. So we do our best to, uh, you know, accommodate uh, and take care of everybody from the from the family kind of trips that want to go out and just do a little light tackle, lots of numbers type, to uh, the more serious guy that really wants to chase these, you know, South Florida muskies that we've uh, spent our time in the last hour or so talking about. And Brad and Carrie, let's talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle. You can find out about Muskie Mayhem Tackle at muskiemayhemtackle.com. Or you can 
find us on Instagram or Facebook and you could check out our YouTube channel too. I know we will have some more stuff probably coming out fairly soon here. Maybe after right after the first of the year, whenever Brad decides to drop that. But yeah, muskybamtackle.com, Facebook, Instagram. You can find the latest and greatest from us. And for Backlash Podcast, you can get in touch with us if you'd like to email us, talk about what guests you'd like to see or anything else you'd like us to, to know about the podcast or talk about with the podcast. You can find that at backlashpodcast at gmail.com. If you found the podcast once, we hope you can find it again. But if you're looking for other places, you can find it. Or when you tell your friends how great of a podcast it is and you want to let them know where to find it, be on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. And for Team Rhino Outdoors, you can check us out at TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. If you're looking for most of the musky gear that you'd want to chase tarpon, or if you're just looking to gear up for your next musky trip, Check us out. And I think that pretty much, oh, Team Rhino Outdoors. One thing I didn't mention, Instagram, Facebook, we have those. I keep promising we're going to put out YouTube content, and someday we will do that. For anybody that knows me personally, knows what I've been dealing with for the last couple months, and it's definitely slowed my abilities to edit things down. So we, um, we, I had to pick and choose. We've been picking podcasts yet. I haven't had a lot of time to spend editing, and I promise we'll, We'll get it out there. Usually we take a break from January anyways until like May this year. The break is coming now and we'll pick it up here shortly. Like I said, we have a bunch of content. It's already filmed. It's done. It'll be coming, but things have been difficult. So once again, John, thanks again for coming on the podcast. We really do appreciate all of our guests taking time to come on. We also appreciate all the listeners who spent some time downloading and if you want, if you're on iTunes or if you're on Podbean or whatever, and you can leave a review, do that as it always helps out the show. Thanks again, everybody, for coming out, and especially Carrie. I really got to admit, Carrie, tonight you finally earned your fan club that you have. I mean, you've had a pretty serious following, but you pretty much, I mean, you were definitely more involved than I was tonight. I was just watching football again on a Sunday night. Imagine that. <laughs> Well, Jeff, uh, Carrie, Brad, uh, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it having uh, having me on. And uh, happy holidays to you guys and everybody else out there. And uh, again, I just I really appreciate you guys uh, getting in touch with me and and doing this. It was great. It was it was awesome, John. It was good to catch up. It's been a little bit, and uh, totally appreciate your time. Yep. Now they're both motivated to go catch tarpon, so I'm in. That's right. Perfect. Well. Thanks. We'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to catch back up again here shortly, and uh, even if it is a year out, definitely uh, be looking at trying to plan something together, and and maybe Jeff and Carrie and I can all come down there and uh, oh the make backlash that podcast roadshow yeah there you that, go that would be good. there you go why not so, right? sounds like sounds like a good plan I, I think so we got a few months to figure it out so we'll have to definitely we'll keep see. that in mind. We'll send Mika to school with my wife, and or she could just go to whatever you know class with my kids. You said you could, she's nine, so she could go with my nine year old, and then we'll all just go fishing. And it sounds like a good plan. Well, maybe Musky Mayhem should move to to uh, Florida. Is what I'm hearing. <laughs> you, you can that's build, fine too. You can build cowgirls from there. There's no doubt. <laughs>
I think we could do that, but we'd probably lose touch with a lot of our uh, with a lot of our customers. I, that's my only fear. <laughs> I think uh, you're probably right. I'd fo- focus on vacation mode for a little bit yet. I think that'd be safer. <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds good, man. I, I totally appreciate your time, John. So. All right. Uh, well, I do as well. All right. We'll we'll uh, we'll stay in touch and we'll shift gears and move forward here. It's a new year. Sounds good. Perfect, guys. Happy New Year to you. Thank you, John. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Bye.